having said that, what do you think should be at least at the top of the list for a believer in Jesus Christ? In other words, the characteristic that the top, somewhere on the top of the list. I don't know if it's the very top of the list. But as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know what? I believe that as we are a forgiven people, we ought to have a characteristic of forgiving people. That ought to be the thing that really happens. But I have seen that Christians, in some cases, are not really any better at it than the people on the outside. Those that do not know Christ, they, they do some things. I mean, I've heard these very words from, from uh, uh, Christians. If somebody goes to them and says, I've apologized for what I've done. There's a Christian responded with, don't you think that apology is a little late? Is that receiving the, the, is that giving forgiveness to them? What, what, what are you actually saying there? He said, I'm not going to give you an opportunity to do what's right. That's what we're really saying when we do that. Or uh, how about this one? I will never forget what you've done. What is that saying? He said, every time I think of you, when I think of you, I think of what you've done. I'm not forgiving you. Or when you need to forgive somebody, you know what, or when you need to ask for forgiveness, you know what they think? They think, well, if I ask them for forgiveness, they'll run over me then. I've heard those words from Christians. Or even this, I'm not the problem, they're the problem. I've heard that from Christians. Or I haven't learned to forgive them yet. That's kind, of a, that's kind of a way that we scoot out of it on a sideways kind of thing, you know. I haven't learned it, so therefore it's not my fault that I'm not going to forgive. Now, I picked on forgiveness because I think that everybody has to forgive somebody during their life. And some of those things are incredibly hard to forgive. There are some people that have done some very egregious things against us. And we have to forgive them anyway. So I would say, with this, if you take the whole of the Christian life, would we find that what we are doing in forgiveness might be reflected in what we're doing in everything else? In other words, we come up with excuses and we come close and we call ourselves Christians. But in reality, we don't quite get there to be a true believer in Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what uh, Peter has written in 1 Peter. He says, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Now, Peter is summing up what he has said before. When you've been here, you've, you've heard all the sermons before all of this. He's coming to this point where he says, finally. The fin- finally is the Greek word telos. Telos is where we get the word teleology. Where in philosophy, you understand that is where it has purpose and it has, uh, you know, it, it has a reason for it, it being there. In other words, he said, I had a goal and I'm coming to this goal. And now I'm finally, finally telling you what the goal is. Finally get to this spot. You're going to be a different people. You're not going to be the same people that, that uh, you were before. They're, they left a word out. And in this translation did at least. It left the word out now. You see, and which really tells us that he's not saying finally I've got the end of, the, of my letter here. He's saying finally I got a purpose with this and this is my purpose. Or else he wouldn't have had two more chapters that would have followed after this. But what happens so often is, is that people read the Bible like James said. James said, you know, we're like people that see our reflection in the mirror and then we walk away and we forget what we look like. Well, the Bible is a reflection in the mirror. 
It shows us what we really need to be. And sometimes we walk away from it and forget what we're supposed to act like. And so Peter tells us these things. First, he says, stop thinking like the world. Stop thinking like the world. He says that we are to have the same mind. Greek word is homophrones. Homo means the same, phronis means minds. It's just a very simple way to translate that. It says this is not the way of the world to have the same mind. To so see, the world has a multitude of minds. Now, I have to tell you something. There's a difference between creative and crazy. And I think that sometimes what has happened in the world is not creative. It's just plain crazy. But the world doesn't know the difference. So, you know, I read this story, but I was preparing this weeks ago. But I was preparing, preparing this story. There was a guy who spent $20,000 on a costume so that he could be a dog. And he walks around the neighborhood looking like a dog. Actually, it looks like a pretty good dog, tell you the truth. But is that not close to crazy instead of creative? See, the world gives a positive value to just about every thought, but living like Christ doesn't. It doesn't do that. It doesn't say you can think any thought you want to think. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 5 says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. See, there are some thoughts that I just don't need to think. And that's not the way the world says it. The world says, think anything you want to think. Do anything you want to do. And so that I find that there are some thoughts that are going to destroy the peace that is within me. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Death. But to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. It'll steal that peace from us when we start to think in every way that is, is out there. So we, sometimes we living in a world that, that is like it is, we fashion ourselves to get along with the rest of the world. And so that the world tells us that the, the greatest sin you can ever have is to stifle your passions. You should do what you want to do, it seems to be. You, can, you, should, you should be able to just go out there and do what you want to. That is, the, that is the words of the flesh itself. The flesh that still possesses and calls you to satisfy its desires. We need a new way of thinking. We cannot think like the world. That's why Paul would write in Romans 12 too, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. So it's saying to us, the world is seeking to conform us into something that we are not. We may used to have been something, but it is now pushing us in to conform us. And it is the renewal of your mind that is going to enable you to truly act like a true believer in Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen any other way. See, understand that you, you expose yourself to the life of, of Jesus Christ. You read his word, you pray, and you, 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 you understand his, his teaching. And you see the example that he has, and you seek to match it. And when we do that, understand this. What we're doing is, it's like he said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. What we're doing is, is we're taking that, his yoke upon us. 
We're taking his example upon us. You see, this learning that he has here is not a process like a skill. It is a, it's a learning that comes from an example that you want to repeat. I, I watched a YouTube video right the night before I prepared this. And I watched this YouTube video and it was on uh, changing the uh, serpentine belt on my, my car. Now, I've done that several times. I'll tell you the truth. I've done it several times. Not on that car, but I've done it on other cars several times. And I had an idea of what I needed to do. But I watched a guy and learned a few things. I learned that I needed a a special tool for it for this car because there's not enough room to put a socket set or anything in there in order to uh, release that tension uh, belt or that that, uh, tension um, pulley that's inside that thing. And I learned to do that. But here was the deal. I needed an example that I could follow. That's what Jesus Christ has provided for us. We take his yoke upon us. We learn from him what from the example that we can follow. I will tell you, it is something that you take and you commit to. Then he says, be sympathetic toward everyone. (laughs) Give you a little Greek here. I want you to learn a Greek word. The Greek word for sympathize is sympathize. <laughs> now, you go, now you know some Greek. It, see, it means to suffer beside or along with others. It doesn't mean to self-inflict yourself with wounds. It doesn't mean to beat yourself up. It Being sympathetic must mean that you know what the other person is going through. It means that you take time to understand what is going, they're going through before you make this judgment on their lives. You see, that's not the way the world uh, works, by the way. The world decides that the, I've got all the information I need. I'm going to go ahead and make the judgment uh, as it stands right now without even recognizing what, the, uh, what that person is going through. We are like consumers in the way we deal with uh, other people. We're like consumers in the fact that what we do is, is that we, we, we say, well, are they valuable to us? If they're not valuable to us, then we have no purpose for them whatsoever. We don't have a purpose for anybody that doesn't have some value that they show it to us. And, and so, thus, we will never be like Jesus. The Jesus who would touch the lepers, who would be with the crippled, the blind, And anyone who won't do something for us. We want to be around those beautiful people. I know of, uh, I asked one deal about a a church and uh, I said, how's this working? I mean, the the guy's not that great a preacher. He's not that, you know, I mean, he's just, I mean, he's okay. He's just not. I said, how is his church growing? I said, he's the most beautiful preacher we've ever seen. We want to be around those beautiful people. We want to say, you know. We, we don't want to be around somebody that doesn't, doesn't, you know, reflect some kind of beauty in them. And so before you judge the poorly dressed person walking towards you, you need to be able to say, I need to find out what's going on in that person's life. Let me confess something to you, folks. I don't know anyone more guilty of judging someone as they come up to them than me. I do that. You know, every time I hear somebody say, I want to talk to the pastor, I jump to a conclusion. I jump to the conclusion that they're probably about to ask me for money. That has happened many, many, many times, I can tell you that. But in reality, I shouldn't jump to that conclusion. I don't realize that for some people, 
They might have been driving past the church and it was all the energy they had just to pull in and see if there was someone who could help them, not with money, but with what they're going on in my life, in their life. I had this happen in Houston. I had a guy that they, the, the, uh, one of the uh, secretaries said to me, uh, there's a gentleman that wants to see the pastor. I went, oh my goodness, I got to go out and do the same thing I always do with these folks. And so I go, I walk out and there's this guy, he's close to seven foot tall. He's got more beautiful, I mean, he's got a suit on that probably cost a bazillion dollars. I have no idea. And I looked at him and he told me, he said, I mean, I, I was a little bit flabbergasted with that. And I didn't know who he was till I looked him up in, uh, afterwards. I mean, he gave me his name, but I didn't know what that meant. He said, I have just been kicked out of the NBA, National Basketball Association professional basketball player. I have an addiction with cocaine. I just stopped and thought there might be somebody here to pray with me. Boy, did I feel like a dirt at that point. He didn't come in to get money. He came in because he really needed some genuine help. And I'd already judged him. I hadn't even seen him yet. And I'd already judged him. See, I didn't have the sympathy to take the time to know what he was going through. And I don't know what it's like to play in the NBA, but I can imagine what it's like to not be able to do what you really want to do, and you can't do it. They won't let you anymore. So I said, you know, I don't need to judge the people. Oh, that hasn't stopped me completely. But I realized I don't have the option to judge people like that. Next, he says, develop brotherly love. You want to live like a real Christian? Develop brotherly love. That is literally the word we, that uh, is Philadelphia. I mean, literally, that's the word that is there. And says, that's why it's called brotherly love. Philo is considered to be brotherly love in this way. Uh, many people want to make brother, you know, brotherly love less than agape. I mean, you know, what they say, they say, well, agape, that's the, that's the love of God. Now we got this brotherly love that's down here. Let me give you another look at that. You see, you love somebody with agape when you don't even know them. But you know your brother. Do you understand what I'm saying? You know your brother. And you got to love him anyway. That's what this is. You got to love that brother anyway. And no matter what, he's still your brother. You can't change that. You can, you can say, oh, I, don't, I wish he wasn't my brother. All oh, you want to. But you cannot change that. It is sometimes easier to speak of agape love. Which, yes, it's unmerited love. But it means that you don't have to know them. With brotherly love, you do know them. See, brotherly love takes the time not only to know the person, but demands sacrifice to that person as well. It bonds you to that other person. See, our love can be knowing or not knowing, but I believe it is harder to love someone when you know them than you do when you don't know them. Really believe this. So people are genuinely looking across the world for brotherly love. You know that? I will say this. A church always remarks that it's friendly. I've, I've seen lots of churches 
But let me say something clearly to you. People are not seeking a friendly church. People want friends. That's what they really want. They're not looking for someone who says, hi, how are you doing? Oh, you've got something bad going on in your life? Well, I hope you, you know, that you go on. I'll pray for you if I remember. And, and then you just go on about your life. They're looking for someone who will invest themselves in them. They want friends who will know them and love them anyway. And they will run from church to church looking for that love. Now, let me say to those of you who are visiting that are local. If you're visiting our church, I want to hear this from me as well. You're not going to find brotherly love by only going to worship services. Just going to let you know that. It's too brief of an opportunity. You need a Sunday school class. We call them discipleship groups, but you need a Sunday school class. And you have a responsibility to help others get to know you too. They cannot simply get to know you in the worship service. You see, think of it this way. Just going to worship services and hoping that you're going to find a church that's going to love you is like going to concerts and hoping you're going to find a spouse that's going to love you. You understand? You just keep going to concert after concert. You go home after, the, after it and you say, well, you know, maybe I'll see that same person next week and get the next concert. You're never going to develop a relationship like this. You need to be a part of that as well. We need to have that brotherly love. Next, then he says, be tender-hearted. Now, this is a case of our heart being changed rather than simply making a decision. There is a decision that needs to be made, but we need to realize that the, the grace that was given to us is to lift others up and being tender-hearted in that. I don't know that we ever really realize all the grace that has been given to us. I'm not trying to say that. But, but I would say that when you get just a taste of that grace, wouldn't we offer it to others as well? So, you know, when you receive salvation yourself, you had a tender-hearted Savior who accepted you. And what did you do for that? Nothing. Nothing. Now, I think that a lot of people say, well, I came to Jesus because I was pretty good. I've heard people think that they're going to be good enough that they're going to be able to do that. Well, Isaiah 6, 6 says, we have all become like one who is unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. The wages of sin is death and there is no amount of work that we can do on our part to overcome the sin that we have done. Because we cannot undo even one sin. So righteous deeds cannot save you. They are worthless when paying for your sins. But once you get to this point of tasting this grace... You must be tender-hearted toward others. And, and I, I think that, you know, some people that are even not Christians, they will look very tender-hearted, but sometimes even more tender-hearted than the people in the church. But, but realize it will not even, their, their, their deeds, their work, their compassion, their tender-heartedness will not add up to what it could, that, what this is calling for here in the Scripture. 
You see, you cannot do this without the power of the Holy Spirit to be the kind of tender-hearted that you need to be. It is, it's not, it's not grasped a hold of. It is being filled with the Spirit so that you will have it. You simply can't say, I take this on my own. I can grab a hold of this tenderhearted and bring it in. You must say, Holy Spirit, fill me up so that I can have this tenderheartedness. You do make a decision. You do make a decision to be changed like that, but it is to be open to the Spirit filling you up. You know, when, in fact, I figured it up. It's 36 years ago, I got a black belt in Taekwondo. I I decided I'd work toward this goal that, uh, over a couple of years, and I had an instructor who taught me. I worked at doing what he told me to do. Now, here's what I learned. All the muscle I needed, I already had. Do you understand? To do any of the things that they had, I had all the muscle I needed. But I needed to do what the instructor said to do without even thinking. In other words, it needed to be something that was inside of me, not necessarily something that I thought it out. It wasn't coming simply through my obedience, but my obedience to what he said became a part of me. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. You, If you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit. You have all that you already need in order to be filled with the Spirit. And when you obey completely, you are filled with the Spirit. You become what you weren't beforehand. This is what happens to you. And what we, we do is we've made this so mysterious, you know, being filled with the Spirit and all of that kind of stuff. But the, what has happened to us, we are changed by this. So that we become so tender-hearted because the opposite of tender-hearted is what? Being hard-hearted. And that comes from quenching the Spirit. You can look through the Scriptures and find that. And so I've found that there are people who quench the Spirit. Understand this. There are people that quench the Spirit in here all the time. We come to the time of the invitation. They know that they're supposed to come forward and give their lives to Christ. You know, they know it. But they quench the Spirit. There are people that, that, that come in, they say, well, you know, I know I need to forgive so-and-so, but they quench the Spirit. There are people that know what God is telling them to do. They quench the Spirit over and over. And you know what happens? They become more hard and hard and harder-hearted. And so eventually it gets to the spot. They can go through every invitation and every sermon and not hear a thing. They don't hear a thing of conviction because they cannot hear the Holy Spirit speak to them. I ask you, can you still hear the Spirit? Can you still hear the Spirit? He then says, be (laughs) humble-minded. Another compound word. Uh, It's a rarity in the the New Testament, but in reality, become humble-minded. There are plenty of people who think that if they put themselves down, they're humble. That's not what that is. You know, if you put yourself down, you know, you start saying, oh, I'm, 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 I'm bad and I'm, you know, and all of this. You're just thinking about yourself and that's what pride really is. And so you don't do that. What you do when you're humble-minded, you, you see the other people around you. And then when you see them, you seek their best. And then you must help them reach their best. And, they, and then you, you celebrate with them honestly when they reach their best. And you do it without drawing or trying to draw any attention to yourself. And you step aside and you say, you go ahead before me. That's what happens. It is always being courteous. I heard uh, from somebody that worked in a restaurant. They said that the hardest time that they work in a restaurant is on Sunday. 
They said the reason is, is because these church members who have stayed there till 12 and the preacher probably went past 12, tell you the truth. They're hungry. They like patience and they're insisting on their own way. And they know that they must be more righteous than this waitstaff because they went to church and that waitstaff didn't go to church. That's what they see. And so they're proud of what they've done and they've missed what it is to be a Christian. Again, I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty of this. But I've decided that I want to live like a believer in Jesus Christ. And I cannot be like this anymore. And in this, I feel like Peter, I feel like I've thrown my leg over the side of the boat. And I finally said, Jesus, I'm going to walk to you on this water. I feel like Paul. I feel like Paul because I know that within me there's nothing that is good that is going to enable me to do this. It says in Romans chapter 7, 18, it says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And who will save me from this body of death? That's what Paul will say after that. It is Jesus. And so I make a commitment another time. Not a commitment of salvation. I don't make the commitment of salvation. I've already done that. It is a new commitment and I want it to be a true commitment. And I ask you, do you want to live like a believer in Jesus Christ? You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid that some of you will not circle one of those. You know why? You're afraid somebody's going to see it. You're afraid that somebody is going to hold you accountable. Do you want to be a true believer in Jesus Christ? That's truly the invitation that I'm offering to you. Let's pray.